You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Welcome on back to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast after a Labor Day weekend filled with rain on Monday in Northeast Ohio, at least. But I am Hayden Grove, joined as always by Chris Fedor. And I, I, the thing that I want to get to first, I did not preface this with Chris because <laughs> I wanted his live reaction. Oh, um, I wanted his live reaction to this news. I don't know if he's seen it yet, but. Former Cavalier, and I remember, Chris, you were definitely around when, uh, when, when former Cavalier Iman Shumpert was around, correct? Yeah, yes. Yeah. So I remember specifically a press conference um, in which Iman Shumpert and his wife, Tiana Taylor, gave birth to their first child, Junie, via the bathtub. Yeah. Do you remember this? I do remember that, yep. Yes. So, you know, Iman spoke about how he, you know, was was delivered his his daughter in the bathtub and what a heroic effort and and what an amazing moment it was. Well, Chris, (laughs) would you believe me if I said it happened again? Oh, my God. You're kidding me. I am not kidding you. What? That is twice. (laughs) Twice now that Iman Shumpert has given birth to his child in a bathtub with Tiana Taylor. Can they never get to a hospital? What the I, hell is going I, on here? I I don't understand it. I I it just I I saw the article and I just started to laugh. I mean, first of all, the most important thing is that the child, ch- the children, and the mother are healthy. That's that's, yes. that's what's most important. So I, I made sure that that was the case. Mm-hmm. Now, but now that I know that's the case. And here's the TMZ article. It's right in front of me. It says, NBA's Amon Shepard says Tiana Taylor gave birth in their bathroom, comma, again. For the second time in five years, Tiana Taylor has given birth in her home bathroom. Once again, everyone is healthy. So I just immediately started laughing because I thought that was the most absurd story I've ever seen in my life, that this could happen twice to the same couple and in this, maybe even the same bathtub. We don't know. So, all right. So I'm reading her Instagram post. Yes. And it says, we love you, Rue. Welcome, baby girl. At 3.28 a.m. on September 6, 2020, Rue Rose decided that the baby shower thrown for her and mommy was too lit. She didn't make the party, but she managed to make the next day her birthday. Now, when we buy homes, we always find a bathroom with great energy. But not in a million years would you be able to tell me we'd deliver both of our daughters in a bathroom without the assistance of a hospital. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, it's the most, I've never heard of that in my entire life. 
the odds of that have to be like winning the lottery style. I, wow. I, I, I can't even imagine. I mean, okay. Now, now the, the difference here is that, yes, home births are very common. A lot of yes. people have, give birth in, in the tub. And I, I, we understand that. But this is twice where it was not planned. <laughs> Both times, not planned. I guess, I guess the great news about this time was that Iman knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, He's right. He's got experience, yes. Yeah. If you yeah, remember the first time, I think one of one of the things that he said was that he used a pair of headphones or the headphone cord or something yep. like that to clamp yep. the umbilical cord. Yep. Um, did he have to do that again? Do we know? I don't know. Um, I don't think Iman has been necessarily interviewed about this yet. All right. Um, I, you know, he's not currently on an NBA roster, so I don't know what the uh, I don't know how, um, you know, accessible he is in the interview realm. So maybe he'll be maybe he'll come out and say that he did use the, uh, you know, the headphones for an uh, for to clamp the umbilical cord. But I guess we'll find out. I remember the first time he said that um, all of us just kind of looked at each other with blinking eye emoji. Yeah, we were just like, huh? what you did? What? And, and he made it sound like, oh, yeah, I just used, you know, headphones, clamp the umbilical cord. Oh, OK. Well, that's yeah. crafty MacGyver style right there. Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, I do remember that being like, you know, that was one of my first I think that was one of my first kind of either years or months or whatever on the beat. And like, that was such a random story. Like, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, like I couldn't imagine. So I thought it would be funny to gauge your reaction just right out of the gate. Um, <laughs> with well, twice, two times in a row. My goodness. My, my immediate reaction, though, Hayden, is. Why? Why does this keep happening that way? Because I don't have experience with this, unfortunately. Um, you know, we're trying. I've been married for more than three years now, um, and we haven't been blessed that way yet. We're hopeful. We're praying every single day. Um, but but from what I know about pregnancy, like you usually have enough time when you start to feel the signs to get to a hospital, to get into a bed, see a doctor. And maybe even some time in between then, right? Like, it, 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 to me, based on all my experience of talking to people, it, it's very rare that it's like you feel the signs, you feel the contractions, and then all of a sudden baby comes out. So I just don't know why they don't go to hospitals. Well, I don't know if Tiana Taylor's body just... Maybe. What, or whatever. She just, she's, there's something in her system that just wants, the baby just wants to get out real fast. And this is no incredible. <laughs> just unbelievable. They just want to get into the world so quickly. So I think that's, that's two daughters, right? For the, uh, for the Shumpert family, Tiana yep. Taylor Shumpert family. I loved, I did love the name. I, 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 cause when, when the first one was born, it was Amon Shumpert Jr. And I was like, right. Uh, okay. But then they call her Junie. That's kind of cute. I was, right. like, I was right. like, eh, I don't know about the Namaz Shepherd Jr. name, but no, she is, if you've ever seen her, if you've ever taken to their Instagram, she is a darling little girl, and I'm hoping the same uh, for Rue. That's yes. a new name. That's something I have certainly never heard, but... I like um, Rue. It reminds me of uh, Hunger Games. Uh, Jennifer okay. Lawrence's friend in the Hunger, Hunger Games, the little Got girl. It. I think she was like, 11 years old or something like that. So yeah, I don't know if that's where they got Rue from, but that's the first thing that I think about when they say Rue. All right. I like it. I, I, I didn't, I mean, I'm not a huge Hunger Games fan. Oh, admittedly. Buddy. I know. I, I, I've seen the movies, but I'm, I'm just, I haven't read the books is what I'm saying. 
I've never read the books either. I've only seen the movies, but Holly and I, um, we loved Hunger Games so much that we used to pre-order tickets to the movie theater about six months in advance so that we could be there for opening night. Hunger Games is just like one of our things. Well, Jennifer Lawrence, I mean, can't beat her. She's awesome. Play whatever role she needs to. Oh, yeah. I think the one that I saw that I didn't really like, it was called, I think it was called Joy. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one. I've heard of it. I've heard of it. Haven't seen it. I think it was like, she she was either like the creator of QVC or something. I don't know. It just, it was, it wasn't like. Oh, yeah. About, about Joy Mangano or something like that. Yeah. Yes. That's the one. Okay. I Um, saw it and I wasn't in love with it. Yeah. That one never really got on my radar of ones that that I wanted to see. Uh, I saw Passengers, right? Wasn't that a movie with Jennifer yeah. Lawrence? Yeah. Either way, yeah. she's she's one of the most versatile actresses in Hollywood. She has Where's the she? kind of versatility that the Cavs are looking for. Where's, <laughs> that's a great segue. <laughs> I was going to say, where's she been? But no, that's a good segue. Perfect. <laughs> um, yes, this is a Cavaliers podcast after all. And uh, we must get into the Cavaliers. Um, but I think, you know, during this time of relative dormancy for the Cavaliers, um, yeah. you know, it's fun to talk about some other stuff. Um, but you did recently come out with and oh, th- OK, we're, we're going to wait on that. But I do have something else we need to discuss. We'll end the podcast with this discussion. OK. All right. Um, but um, in the meantime, you did do a Hey Chris uh, column. Um, on cleveland.com slash Cavs. You can go check it out right now. It is titled, Is Obi Toppin an Option for the Cleveland Cavaliers at number five in the 2020 NBA Draft? And we have certainly discussed Obi Toppin thoroughly and why we don't think it would be a great fit in Cleveland, um, or he would be a great fit in Cleveland. We can yeah. discuss that. But um, we've talked a ton about draft picks and, and draft, potential draft picks and potential prospects. Um, but you mentioned something um, about the uh, the mid-level exception. So we've talked about this before um, in regards to if the Cavaliers will use it, who would they use it on, will they use it? What is your sense of that mid-level exception or where do the Cavaliers stand with it? So I think we talked a little bit about this last week, Hayden. They will use it if they feel like there's somebody worth it, right? So what I've been trying to do is talk to a lot of people around the NBA and say, okay, like, Who falls into that mid-level exception? What kinds of players are we looking at here? Because you can pull up all of these lists of the top point guards available in free agency, the top shooting guards, the top wings, all that kind of stuff. And if it's a top 10 list broken down like that, I mean, I don't think a lot of these guys are going to fit in the mid-level exception. So let's just say hypothetically, they felt like they needed another shooter. And they went out and they needed a shooting guard with size. I'm not saying that they do, but if they were to compile that list, you would have names like Kent Bazemore, Kentavious Caldwell-Pope, Austin Rivers, um, Jordan Clarkson, Tim Hardaway Jr. And all these guys, well, some of these guys have player options. Other ones are unrestricted free agents. So in talking to a lot of people around the NBA, like nobody fits the mid-level exception. A lot of those guys that I mentioned are going to get, or at least the belief is, they're going to get something north of that. So when you have a conversation about mid-level exception, like I think that has to be the starting point. The kind of player that the Cavs are going to get 
it's not going to make a list of these top free agents. You're talking about Derek Jones Jr. of the Miami Heat, Pat Connaughton of the Milwaukee Bucks, Harry Giles of the Sacramento Kings, Josh Jackson of the Memphis Grizzlies. And some of these guys, Hayden, aren't going to command the full med level. They might get part of it or they might be like just north of um, the minimum salary in some cases. But like that's the kind of player you're talking about that the Cavs would have to be targeting in free agency. And very few of those guys are going to move the needle. So as I'm making these lists all the time, I'm starting to think to myself if it's even worth it for the Cavs to go this direction. And the conclusion that I keep coming to, Hayden, is that if the Cavs are going to spend money this offseason, the best way for them to spend it isn't on one of those guys outside the organization. Like, to me, the best way that they could use the mid-level exception or that money that they have is to re-sign Tristan Thompson. Now, that's not entirely their decision. Tristan has a decision to make. Rich Paul, his agent, they're going to look at the market. Sign and trade is going to be discussed. Um, What kind of contenders are willing to offer Tristan the mid-level exception? Like, all of that has to be factored in. But from the Cavs' standpoint, like, is it more important for them to have Tristan Thompson back, even for just a year? Or Derek Jones Jr., who now can't crack the playoff rotation for the Miami Heat, and maybe a completely different player outside of the Miami system? Is it more important for the Cavs to have Tristan Thompson or Pat Connaughton, who's okay, but he's like the seventh or eighth guy in a playoff rotation? Is it more important for the Cavs to have Tristan? And then you start asking those questions of the individual players and you start comparing them. And to me, like the best usage of their money this offseason is to bring Tristan back. Yeah, I think, I know we've talked a lot about Tristan Thompson and, and how he would fit um, with this Cavaliers team and why he would want to come back. Um, I, I completely agree. I think probably that Tristan Thompson, that money would be more suited for him rather than somebody who's a little bit of a question mark, um, you know, Derek Jones Jr. By the way, Miami Heat, what a, what a, what a, really good. And they're going to, I mean, outside of a miracle from Milwaukee, they're going to end up winning that series and they might, they might be finals bound. So good for them. But, um, you know, we have discussed Tristan Thompson and the problem right now with, with the Tristan Thompson talk is that there's just, there's, we know, I guess there's some interest from the Cavalier side. We don't really know, you know, I'm sure there's interest from Tristan's side, but there's really nothing they can do as of right now. Right. And, and here's the other thing, Hayden. Um, when talking about the Cavs this offseason and moves that they need to make, like, uh, there are two things. First, it's, my sources tell me that it's not a mandate from Dan Gilbert to stay out of the luxury tax, but if they're going to go into the luxury tax, it has to make sense. And it has to be pitched to Dan in a way that is going to make him say, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense for this team, one of the worst teams in the NBA, to have that kind of payroll. Um, So the Cavs would really have to sell that. And I think their understanding of it is, like, if we don't go into the luxury tax, that's probably better for us in terms of financial flexibility, optionality, and it resets our luxury tax clock for a time where we might be more into go for it mode 
in a way that we aren't this offseason. And that's not to say that the Cavs don't want to take steps in the right direction. They do. They've talked about playoffs and trying to make that leap. But when you're in go-for-it mode, you, you throw everything out the window. You say salary cap doesn't matter. Luxury tax doesn't matter. We're at a point where one move or a couple of moves is going to put us over the top. The Cavs aren't in that situation right now. So if they're going to add somebody to this roster and they're going to spend the money on that kind of guy and boost their payroll even more, like that guy has to be a significant contributor. So let's say it's Derek Jones Jr. Can you say for sure right now that if the Cavs were to sign him for the mid-level exception, that he would start over um, Dylan Windler or Jetty Osman? Absolutely not. Like, I can't say that. Like, the thinking would be yes, because you spend on him and because he played 60 games for the playoff-bound Miami Heat, but that's in Miami. That's surrounded by the supporting cast and with the coaches that he had in Miami. Here in Cleveland, where more is going to be expected of him after signing, it's tough to say that, oh, yeah, that's a 30 to 35-minute-a-night player. We've got our, our wing of the future. Or to say the same thing about Pat Connaughton, or to say the same thing about Josh Jackson or Harry Giles as a big man in the front court. So that's something that the Cavs have to think about. If if you start laying out the rotation in this kind of scenario, like they want to get minutes for Dylan Windler, right? They want to get minutes for Jetty Osman. They want to continue the evolution of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. And if they find somebody who's a clear-cut upgrade over those guys, of course, they'll sign that person and they'll say that guy is more deserving of minutes over some of these other guys. But to to take away minutes and playing time and development opportunities um, from Dylan Windler for somebody like Pat Connaughton just doesn't make a ton of sense for this organization or Derek Jones Jr. or some of the other guys that I mentioned. I would agree. I mean, it just I it does make a lot of sense to me as well as the way that you put it for sure. Um, looking at some of these other questions, uh, this <laughs> kind of got a kick out of this one because you know for the <laughs> most for, for the most you think you think I'm going where I'm not going, but I get it. Okay, all right. Okay, but first of all, first of all, this one um, just because like I I keep forgetting that he's on the team. Like it's it's I'm sorry I feel bad that I Dante forget. Exum Dante Exum yeah. yeah the question is how invested are the Cavaliers in Dante Exum I mean Dante Exum was at one time a lottery pick like a you know pretty big deal yeah uh, and now it's he's just kind of a forgotten piece of the Cavaliers so what is the what what is the future hold what does the future hold for Dante Exum in Cleveland so the way that I answered it is the same way that I'll answer it with you it's up to him isn't it yeah. I mean, can he stay healthy? Can he prove that he can be counted on? There are ties to Dante Exum inside this organization. Antonio Lang, assistant coach, was with Dante in Utah. He works with Dante. He's been working with Dante. Uh, One of the Cavs executives um, was in Utah at the time that they drafted Dante Exum, and he was part of the group that thought that it made sense for the Cavs to take a shot on Dante Exum. That was Andre Patterson. So there are ties and there are reasons to be invested in him. But at some point, like, it has to be on him to get these minutes. It has to be on him to get this playing time. Sure. Um, if, if Matthew Della Vadova doesn't, doesn't re-sign with the team, then obviously there are more minutes available in backcourt. And in theory, the Cavs need the things that Dante could bring. He's athletic. He's long. He can guard ones, twos, and threes, depending on who the three is. 
Um, he's more defensive minded. If you remember, Utah was kind of grooming him to be that playoff stopper on the defensive end. And he did for one of their playoff runs. Um, so theoretically, he brings elements that the Cavs need. But this is a loaded backcourt. We've talked about this a number of times, Hayden. You have yes. Darius Garland. The Cavs have high hopes for him in year two. Colin Sexton is their best, most prolific scorer. He's going to be 35 to 40 minutes a night, probably something like that. Um, the organization views Kevin Porter Jr., whether they're right or wrong about this, as more of a two than a three. So a bulk of his minutes may go um, at the two spot. So you start like ranking it and going through the depth chart and saying, where does Dante Exum fit? He's kind of like that swing guard. Um, right. And it's hard to find consistent playing time for guys like that. So it's up to him. If he has a really good offseason, he can stay healthy. He can bring the, the defense that the Cavs don't have in the backcourt. Um, then, yeah, there's absolutely a place for him. Um, if he can't do that, then he's an expiring contract that could be intrigued, um, in, intriguing in a potential trade. It's just, I mean, you know, it just, there are a lot of lottery picks that don't really pan out. I guess that's how it goes. But there seemed, I don't know, it seemed to be like when he was drafted by Utah, there seemed to be a lot of intrigue there. Um, and it's just funny. Oh, for sure. Kind of, it's kind of funny that he's not funny, but it's just kind of crazy that he's kind of fallen so far to where if you, I would guess if you asked, Mm, probably 75% of NBA fans. I think a lot of them would struggle about where Dante Exum is right now. Mm -hmm. I, I would guess. And if you think about what he did when, when he arrived from Utah, he had that monster game. It was a breakout game. Everybody was really, really excited. He scored 28 points against the Minnesota Timberwolves. If you remember that, I think he made all four of his three pointers. And then the next couple of games, he scored one, two, two, three, five. So it's like that level of inconsistency um, that has shown up throughout the course of his career. Right. And it's hard when you're a team like the Cavs that has so much invested in other guys like Darius, like Colin, like KPJ. Um, if, if Dante is going to be more consistent, again, they'll continue to play him. But if he's going to be as inconsistent as he was in a short stint with the Cavs and deal with nagging injuries, like it's hard to justify continuing to give him big minutes, um, especially when they have so many other guys that they would allocate them to. Do you think Delhi coming back is, I mean, where do you, where do you view that? Yeah. I mean, I think the Cavs want Delhi back. Um, Delhi is not going to have a huge market. This free agency is going to be wild to begin with. A lot of these guys are going to push for one-year deals so that they can get back into free agency in 2021. And I don't think there are enough NBA teams that view Delhi as a clear-cut backup point guard. Um, right. I think they view him kind of as that swing guard, maybe a third guard in a rotation. So what's the market for a guy like that? For Delhi, it makes sense to come back to Cleveland. He knows the coaching staff. He knows the organization. He knows his teammates. He can be valuable here as an on-court player and a mentor. And for the Cavs, it makes a lot of sense because the things that Delhi brings, they need those things. They need the toughness. They need the leadership. They need the basketball IQ. They need the passing. Like, Delhi's passing 
is a trait that the Cavs do not have on this roster. They were such a significantly better team, Hayden. The numbers point to this. They were such a significantly better team when Delhi was on the court. Um, I think that speaks to the inexperience that the Cavs have in the backcourt. I think that speaks to the experience that Delhi has on his side and the passing ability that he's always had. Um, but, but like... You know, is a team going to pay him the mid-level exception? No, I don't think a team is going to. What contending team is out there saying, you know, we only have one mid-level exception to spend. Uh, we're going to give it up to Matthew Delavadova. I just don't see that. I just think it's going to be a really quiet market for him that's going to allow him to come back on, on a team-friendly deal uh, that makes sense for both Delhi and the Cavs. So I think there is certainly a possibility of him coming back in a similar role that he had last year for the Cavs. It kind of, I mean, when you look at it, Delhi offensively was just putrid last year. I oh mean, my he God. Tried, he couldn't, he couldn't right, hit a shot. Right. He tried to change the shot and, and it right. just did not work for him. But when you mention, and you're right, when you mentioned that the Cavaliers were better with him on the court, I just think that points to where his value truly is in his, you know, his ability to pass the ball, his, as you said, his toughness, tenacity, you know, willingness to put in work on defense, leadership, yeah. all that stuff. So I think that that makes sense for the Cavaliers to go that way. Now, if he could be, if he could be any, anything better than he was last year offensively, I think that'd be, the, the Cavaliers would certainly take that. Right. I mean, if if you need somebody to run your second unit for 12 to 16 minutes a game or something like that, Delhi's a really good option to have. He's going to run the team like a coach and he's not going to make too many mistakes and he's going to put everybody in the right um, positions. But then you have to ask yourself, OK, like, what is the cost for a player like that? And. Are there other guys out there that can shoot better than him? And it's just like, do these things at a higher level than Delhi can? You know, can we get Jeff Teague to fill that same kind of role? Can we get Reggie Jackson to fill that same kind of role? Can we get Goran Dragic? He does those same things. Maybe Chris Dunn can do some of those things. DJ Augustine can do those things. Like, there are a lot of guys who can do the things that Delhi can do. If, if you're looking at it from a wide picture NBA standpoint and, and these other teams that may be looking for these backup guards in free agency. But for the Cavs, they'll probably put a little more value to his name because they've seen the impact behind the scenes in a way that the Orlando Magic haven't, right? Or the right. way that the Atlanta Hawks haven't, a team like that. So to me, like the most value that he can bring for an organization is probably here with the Cavs as a combination of mentor for the young guards that they have and, you know, experienced veteran who can run their second unit and just like get them in the right places. He knows how to play the game the right way. That is very true. And again, as you mentioned, you know, just them knowing him and him being a part of the championship certainly doesn't hurt either. All right. Before we get into now, I will I will preface this with we are going to debate. This is going yes. to be a, this is going to be a debate um, because this is I have a very differing viewpoint from you, but but I'll get into it in a second. But first of all, I do want to mention that you can sign up for Chris's subtext. Again, you get Cavs Insider texts. And you can communicate directly with Chris. Sign up for a fourteen day free trial of subtext, and 
It's the only way to get your questions into the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. So the way to do it is text 216-208-4499. Again, that is a 14-day free trial of insider text from Chris Feeder before you see it on Twitter or anywhere else. He'll be giving you the insight and the analysis that you need as the Cavaliers head towards another season. And like I said, 216-208-4499. It's 14 days free, and then after that, it is $3.99 a month. So you will get all of your Cavaliers information straight from the source and Mr. Chris Fedor. Now, this is, this, is, this is how I wanted to end the podcast today. Okay. So one of your questions um, is, is as it is literally, this is, this is the quote. Quote, any chance the Cavs sponsor a charity event where fans can drop <laughs> off their new Cavs Jumpman jerseys for a bonfire? Perhaps something like events in the early 80s where they bulldoze disco albums. Cavs must find a way to make lemonade out of lemons with this debacle. Chris N. Hudson, Ohio. Now, so I saw, I, I initially saw that the Cavaliers, and, and maybe you can give me more insight into this. So the Cavaliers are putting the Jumpman logo, the Michael Jordan logo. Um, from his Jordan brand, very prominent brand used by a lot of teams around the league, used by a lot of different, um, a lot of different, you know, teams and colleges. I mean, heck, uh, the University of Michigan is a big Jordan mm-hmm. brand and, and all that. So, uh, can you explain to me why? <laughs> can you explain to me just just explain to me why? Explain to me why why they chose or had to do like what is the what is the basis for putting for putting one of the most villainous figures in your franchise on your jersey. First of all, they didn't choose this. Okay, the, fine. The Cavs That's my didn't first wa- question. Yes, the okay. Cavs didn't wake up one morning and say, let's piss off the entire fan base by putting the Jordan silhouette in our jersey instead of the Nike swoosh. And not only that, we're going to put it on maybe our most popular jersey, the one that ties back to our, us winning a championship. Right. The this, black is why I, this, is why, this is This is exactly why I asked. Yeah, that, that's not what the Cavs did. It, it's an agreement that the NBA came to with the Jordan brand to have the statement jerseys, which are the fun jerseys that everybody loves. They're usually different colors. The Miami Heat jersey, the statement jersey is the, the Miami Vice one. Um, the Cavs statement jersey is the black one that everybody loves because they won the title in the black jerseys. Um, all these different teams have statement edition jerseys. And there was an agreement in place between the Jordan brand and the NBA, obviously for money purposes, to take the swoosh off the statement edition jerseys, only those jerseys for all 30 teams, and put the Jordan brand logo on those. Okay. So that was the agreement. Yes. Now, now, (laughs) did the NBA think for like a second about the the history between Michael Jordan and the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'm sure, but (laughs) I mean, is there any way that that could have been, is there any way that that could have been avoided? Is there any way that that could have been, because like, okay, I get it. Players wear Jordan shoes. That's different. That's, that's your individual style. That's your individual thing. Yeah. I have no problem with Jordan gear, wearing Jordan brands, wearing a Jordan headband, but like, Somebody made the example of John Elway. It's like putting John Elway on a Browns jersey. I don't think that's the case because it's a little different. But a little different? It's a lot different. It's a lot different. Fine. It's a lot different. But, like, I just I, – I don't know if I'll ever be on board with it. I don't know if I'll ever, like, look at that uniform and just be like – and be like, that's okay. 
Like, even if it's, even if it's just like agreeing to disagree, like, I just, I don't see how that can be okay on multiple levels. Now, most people are talking about like the Jordan level with like, you know, his, you know, his escapades against the Cavaliers in the past. I'm also looking at it as like, oh, well, you know, the arguably the, you know, one of the greatest basketball players ever, who is also kind of put up there with Michael Jordan, who wore this uniform and won a cat and won a title for the Cavaliers, breaking the 52 year drought now has to see Michael Jordan's silhouette on that same uniform. It's like, it's a, there's a whole different lot of levels here to where I'm just like this, the NBA, like the Cavaliers could not have been happy when the NBA was like, yeah, we're going to do this. Again, they could not have been happy when they, when they were like, yeah, you got to put out like a, a tweet and a video about how, about how MJ's silhouette is going on your uniform. Like there's no way the Cavaliers organization was like, yes, we're so excited about this. All right. So two questions for you. Yes. One, do you wear Jordan brand anything? Um, no, and that's not because of my, Michael Jordan. Um, but no, I, I don't. I don't. Dis, I don't have a problem with the Jordan brand, um, because again, that's your individual thing. And so many people looked up to Jordan. Like obviously, LeBron looked up to Jordan, and yeah. and and you know, so many people emulated his style. I mean, heck, we talked. How much have we talked about the Last Dance and what he meant to us and everything? But like, but that's different than a franchise. It's you know, that's an individual basis. So I get what you're saying, though. I do. Okay, so second question is this. Did I miss something that the only team that Jordan tormented in his career was the Cleveland Cavaliers? <laughs> like, no, he killed no. the Celtics. He killed the Pistons. He killed the Atlanta Hawks. And, like, the only team that it seems like fans are pissed about the Jordan logo going on their jerseys is here in Cleveland. Well, I think that's also location bias. We are in Cleveland, and you don't – I mean, honest – I mean, I know you follow a lot of national writers. I do. Of, but, like, do you follow a lot of Utah Jazz fans? Or do you follow a lot of, uh, no. you know, uh, Minnesota Timberwolves? I mean, I feel like Utah Jazz would also have a problem. Like, he hit the, that shot. You know, that's an iconic shot. But, the, I mean, the Cavaliers, for some reason, I just think that they – with the shot and everything and the fact that they had this big drought and then you add LeBron into it, like – I feel like the Cavaliers have definitely the most animosity towards Michael Jordan. Maybe. Would you not buy one of the black statement edition jerseys because it has the Jordan logo on it? Uh, I wouldn't I'm buy a jersey. Genuinely in general. I wouldn't buy it. Well, I, mean, I know that. I know okay, that. So, so Sam, 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 not a, not, you know, say I don't do that. Okay. Yeah. Sam, a fan. No, heck no. I wouldn't buy one. <laughs> no way. I would definitely take one of the other jerseys. Are you kidding? I mean, that's, I mean, again, maybe, and I look at also, like, I look at it like the Michigan thing, too. Like, Michigan, you know, that's their, that, they kind of, like, pitted themselves against Ohio State, but because Ohio State was wearing LeBron stuff, and then Michigan went out and did the Jordan stuff. I don't know. It's just, like, I think that's fun. And then you just, like, put, you put Michael Jordan's silhouette on everything, and, and it's, like, okay, now Jordan owns the league? Like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I mean, I'm wrong. It might get to that point. It might get to a point where the Jordan brand becomes so big and he invests so much that it replaces the Nike swoosh altogether. You could get to a point where that happens. You could get to a point in the future, Hayden, where the LeBron James logo is going to be on jerseys. Who knows? Money talks. You know what I mean? Oh, so yeah, I, I think the NBA just saw it as cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Sure. I mean, they're not looking at it like we're looking at it. I mean, you know, they're looking at it dollar sign dollars. I understand that. I understand the whole like financial aspect of it. I just like, <laughs> it's just like funny to talk about because like, I just think it's it just like on some level, it's just wrong. 
It's just, it's just <laughs> fundamentally wrong. Like for, I mean, feel, think about if like LeBron think, okay. So LeBron, LeBron, obviously, you know, one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest player um, in 10, 12, 15 years, you know, has so much money and the LeBron brand so big and the King logo is there and, and they're going to, NBA is like, all right, we're going to put the King logo on everything. You think Warriors fans are going to be like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, probably not. Uh, you know, that's just what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. oh, that's cool. You know, put LeBron's logo on a, a Warriors uniform. Yeah. Like, what do you think LeBron thinks? Uh, I don't know that he cares, to be honest with you. Um, well, I mean, he's he's got bigger fish to fry right now. They're in the middle of a um, middle of a dogfight, but. I mean, I, I, I kind of agree that he probably wouldn't care. He's making enough money on his own stuff. Yeah. And it's only on one edition of the jersey. Now, for the Cavs, it's arguably their best one. So right. the circumstances surrounding that, which are completely out of the Cavs' control, um, that's unfortunate. Sure. Now maybe I, am not, I am certainly not blaming the Cavaliers. That is yeah. not what I am saying at all. I am just saying that it is just very interesting to me that like this happened and like and i wonder what the cavaliers thought about it happening look man you're not the only one there were a lot of people that had the same thing i know and i saw that you were kind of in the different realm and i was like all right this will be perfect we'll get we'll get to debate this (laughs) um but i mean did you talk to anyone in the cavaliers that was like and i mean i'm sure again it's really not a big deal i i don't i don't don't for a second think that this is anything more than a fun debate like it's just right. a silly silhouette but yeah. i'm sure there are people in the cavaliers organization that were like eh, we don't love it <laughs> i mean the people that i talked to had no issue with it they said you had to see this coming because the jordan brand logo has been on um the all-star jerseys for the last couple of years yeah uh the charlotte hornets are repped by jordan brand duh well, that he would owns sense. the yeah. team and they've right. been wearing that since 2017 um, so I think a lot of people around the NBA, like they're not, they're not concerned about it. They didn't have too much of an opinion on it because they, they saw it coming, yeah. if that makes yeah. sense. I, I feel like Cavs fans right. were kind of blindsided, especially when it was put on the black jersey. Right. And also like, again, this question that came in was any awesome. chance the Cavs sponsor a charity event where fans <laughs> can drop off their new Cavs Jumpman jerseys for a bonfire. Like, we're talking about burning the jerseys here just because of the silhouette. Oh, so, that was amazing. I mean, it's a, it's a good comment. I just thought it was it was something interesting to talk about amidst an offseason where, like, yes. you know, we've talked about every prospect, up, you know, draft prospect and everything else. So so that'll that'll be going to effect next year, right? The, the Cavaliers yep. will wear those next season. Yeah, this upcoming season. By the way, before we get out of here, like, yeah. I also have some breaking news. I learned... Um, I talked to Florida State men's basketball coach Leonard Hamilton over the phone earlier this afternoon, and I learned something really, really interesting about uh, draft prospect Devin Vassell. Yeah, there you go. That's what I learned. You don't pronounce his name Vassell. I thought it was Vassell. All this time, I thought it was Vassell. We have been mispronouncing it from pretty much day one, probably. Yes. I would say. So So, so we're we're over to Vassell. So we're over two on Vassell and Avdia. We were we were yes. saying Avdia, and so we need to get together and like get get like a like a pronunciation guide from these teams or something. 
So what did so what did Leonard Hamilton have to say? I mean, that's you know he's a, well, obviously a very influential. I mean, I know it's his guy, yeah. But he's a pretty darn good basketball coach. He's gotten that Florida State program. I thought they would have been a tough out in the tournament this year. First of all, the Cavs were all over the Florida State campus. I've yeah. reported that. I've talked to you about that throughout the yep. course of the season. They were all over Florida State's campus. Assistant General Manager Mike Ganzi saw Florida State in person four times. I want to say. Um, including a game on the road against Virginia. Um, so they've been all over him. They have interviewed Devin already. They interviewed him back in June via Zoom. Um, and everything that I hear about Devin, including my conversation with Leonard Hamilton, is that he is the kind of person that the Cavs are looking for. When you're talking about rebuilding this organization and rebuilding it with people, that was a big draw to Colin Sexton. It was a big draw to Darius Garland. Um, Vassell, the person, continues to get talked about just as much as Vassell, the player. And uh, that is something that struck me when talking to Leonard Hamilton. It's like, you know, he is, as a coach, like he's really choosy about the kind of playing time that he gives to guys. He doesn't like having the NBA conversation. He doesn't usually recruit five-star blue chip one-and-done types. Um, so you really have to earn it when you play for Leonard Hamilton. And um, Vassell like, went in there to Florida State unheralded or not as much acclaim as some of the other people in his recruiting class. And then by the end of his sophomore season, he's their leading scorer, leading rebounder, and best player. So I think that speaks to his work ethic. I think that speaks to his attitude, his approach. And this was the quote that I got from Leonard Hamilton. Again, you do have to take this with a grain of salt because it's the coach. It's his right. program. Yeah. But he said he has it. He is everything a program would want. He's about all the right things. The best is yet to come. There you go. That's, I mean, you know, obviously every coach is going to say good things, but I, you know, I, I remember specifically, and I know it's very different. Um, I remember my high school football coach saying that he would never lie to a recruiter, to someone who, you know, was, was interested in, in one of us and, or in a prospect. And he said he would never, you know, he said, if, if you weren't in the weight room every day, he would tell you, if he would tell the, the recruiter that he, or if right. you were, if you were doing, going up and beyond, he would, he would just not lie. So Leonard Hamilton strikes me as that kind of a coach that's not going to like BS you when it comes mm -hmm. to guys. So but that's I mean, what that... you hear from, and that's the thing you hear that from other people around the NBA and yeah. other scouts too. So when you have it all match and everybody is saying the same thing about the kid and yeah. how great of a kid he is and how he's about all the right things and he's the quintessential winner, like those things, those things matter to the Cavs. They have called them the controllables. And if you have the controllables, in some cases, that's going to be more important than your three-point stroke or your ability to pass out of pick and roll. And, and here's another thing, too, that Leonard Hamilton told me. Uh, Devin was a 20% three-point shooter in high school. Think about that. Wow. 20%. And he went back-to-back 40% -back in ACC. Jeez. So that's a huge leap. And again, that speaks to his work ethic. Absolutely. I mean, so I, I think the Cavaliers, again, still very much between Vassell, Abia, mm -hmm. um, Okoro, yeah. and uh, 
Obi Toppin's in there too, by the way. Yeah. Like, yeah. as much as I don't think it makes sense, I've talked to enough people over the last couple of weeks that have me believing that I was wrong on the Cavs' view of him. And the Cavs definitely have him in play at number five. Uh-oh. That yeah. sounds like something for the next podcast. Yeah. Perfect. That's a great way to end it. We'll leave him on a cliffhanger. Next week, Obi Toppin Cavs isn't a match made in heaven. We will see. No. Um, but uh, <laughs> is watch it a match the playoffs. Made, is it a match made in nightmare? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, just watch the playoffs. Who are the guys that are making the biggest difference? Yeah. Two-way wings. Yep. Man, the playoffs. So tonight, I believe it's uh, Rockets-Lakers game three. Yep. And then uh, the other game is... Miami-Milwaukee. Miami-Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. Game five. Uh, will Giannis um, play? Will Giannis play? And will the Bucks make this a series? Very That's the other thing that I'm wondering, though. So let's say Milwaukee comes from behind. They were down 0-3. Let's say they come from behind and they win that. How is history going to view that? As the first team to ever come down from 0-3, right? I don't know. Like, I don't... I guess I've been watching the entire bubble and and the takeaway that I've had primarily is that the kinds of deficits that we see when these teams are on neutral courts, it's not the same oh, as what yeah. it's been in past I playoffs. Yeah. So, I thought you meant, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, I do mean like there's an asterisk. I mean, I don't want to say that there's an asterisk on the championship. No, but on a, yeah, but on like a, but, a stat like that. Yeah. But like the nuggets coming back from, a 3-1 deficit is not the same as the Cavs coming back from a 3-1 deficit. For multiple it's a, reasons, yeah. It's a different set of circumstances. So right. I just don't know, like, when people say, like, can this team come back down 3-0? Can this team come back down 3-1? It's a neutral court. Of course, like, it makes it more possible for some right. of these comebacks to happen. Right. No, I totally hear that. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would say it's a little different. I would definitely say it's a little different. See, when the Bucks went down after the first three games, they lost the first three games. I didn't write them off completely. No. In most years, I would have. I was like, no, no chance. Game four is in Miami, and then there's going to be another couple of games that they have to, at least one more in Miami that they would have to win is like, right. you know, Travel is involved, and right. all those different factors are involved. And now you don't have any of those kinds of things. So I just think it makes comebacks, uh, I don't want to say more frequent, but I think more possible than what they have been in the past. Right. And I, it's fun. I mean, a lot of my friends are, you know, growing up in Florida, a lot of my friends are Heat fans. And oh, yeah. When, when, they, when, they, when they lost game four, it was like they were down. <laughs> it was like they were down 3-1 instead of up 3-1. I'm like, what in the Sam hell is going on here? Like, you, yes, it was a tough loss. Like, you know, good game, overtime, no Giannis. But, I mean, wh- what are we talking about? Like, people threatening the refs and, like, this is the biggest BS ever. The NBA should look. I'm like, relax. You're up. Th- if, you can't, if you can't close out a 3-1 or if you can't close out a 3-0 series, that's on you. That's not on the refs. And that hey, that's why you. I love the playoffs. Because the, the, the view of one loss... Oh, yeah. it's hilarious to me. It's like it's like Indians fans. <laughs> Indians Indians fans when they lose a game, it's like, oh god, the world's ending. Right. It's, it is funny. Like one game in a playoff series, like that doesn't 
that doesn't tell you that that's how game two, game three, game four, game five, game six, game seven are all going to go. It's about matchups. It's about adjustments. People are going to change their lineups. They're going to lean on lineups that work better than others. LeBron's going to play 44 minutes instead of 40. Like, there's a bunch of different variables in play. I just love the overreaction to one game in a playoff oh, series. Yeah. The Lakers lost to the Blazers, and everyone's like, oh, oh, oh I don't know. I don't know about the Lakers this year. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. It's, it's good, though. I mean, again, it, it, it kind of brings you back and, and kind of seems normal. You know, I mean, amidst everything that's been not normal, yeah, like the playoffs, true. it kind of is normal. Like that's a normal reaction. A lot of playoff series in the past have been overreactions to that. And uh, you know, when the when the Lakers lost game one to the Rock or to the Rockets, uh, you know, I think a lot of the same. Uh oh, you know. Yeah. And now it's and now I think again, LeBron, he just does it every year. He does that that you know that feel out game, and then they go. So we'll see what happens tonight. But it should be interesting. Chris, anything else before we uh, get out of here? No, I think that's it, man. All right. So next week, we will talk about what Chris has heard about Obi Toppin and a potential fit for the Cavaliers, amongst anything else that, uh, that pops up uh, you know, throughout the week. And uh, again, congratulations to Iman Shumper and Tiana Taylor on yet another successful bathtub birth. I mean, that's, that's amazing. That really is amazing. Thank you guys for joining us. Have a great week. We will talk to you soon. Take care.